as we come to this morning's psalm, we will see a focus on the worship of God that runs throughout the book of Psalms. We'll see that the worship of God in Israel was meant to be joyful. And above all, folks, it was loud. Marvin Tate has written, The noise of temple worship was legendary. And to prove his point, he cited Ezra 3, uh, beginning in verse 10. And this describes what happened when the people who had returned from Babylon, they finally had the temple rebuilt and they see it. And we're told when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestment with their trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love of Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was built. And at the end of verse 13, it says, And the sound was heard far away. Folks, the worship was amazing and glorious. James Montgomery Boyce asked a little uncomfortable question at first, but he said, should the worship of God's people be any less exuberant today? Should we be quiet when we come to know him who is the great king above all lords? Shame on us for all lackluster worship and half-hearted praise. And then he pointed to the Methodist church, which historically was well known for its singing. And it's not surprising when you understand that John Wesley, the founder of the movement, made this statement. I think our music leaders will enjoy this statement. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of it being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. When I was an 11-year-old boy and we went to church in Germany, we lived in the little town of Waldorf because base housing was crowded, and our church, our mission church, met above a guest house, which is basically a pub, a bar. And there were times the singing from the pub was a little bit louder than our singing. And so our music guy would try to get us to sing louder. Boyce ended with an honest, and this is an encouraging word. He said, not all of us have good voices, but I do not think the angels find poor voices offensive when hearts are full of gratitude toward God. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to stand. And today, as we think of Israel, when it saw the temple ready to go up, and we look at what happened with them and we sing our song, we are going to listen to a hymn that tells us, sing a song of the love of God. It is Psalm 98. And folks, the three psalms that brought us to this point were all songs of lament. At some point in the song, God, are you going to help us? None of that is here. It is all joy. It is all wonder. It is all praise. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. Folks, in this psalm, The people of God were called to sing a new song to the Lord. And behind this call to sing the new song was the assurance of God's steadfast love for his people. On the fourth Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of love, our hearts should be filled with joy and wonder Understanding that God's love has come into our life. And as we think of the love of God today, we're going to remember what that love reveals, what that love tells us about God and what he's done. So get ready because, folks, this is an exciting word for us today that focuses on the purpose behind what we call Christmas, the love of God reaching down to humanity. And right off the bat, God's love has caused him to do marvelous things. God's love has caused him to do amazing, astounding, wonder-working things within the history of the world. German theologians came up with a a term back in the 1800s, going into the 1900s, Heilgeschichte, it meant holy history. And the idea behind it, history isn't just a point A to point B, it is God moving and drawing. And this is what we're being told today. God's love is moving throughout history. And the song of praise opened with a call to sing because of God's amazing works. Now, We don't know the exact setting of this psalm. There's nothing whatsoever. In that little title that uh, appears before many psalms, the only words we have is a psalm. All it says is, this is a song of praise. There's no clear setting. It has been linked with the Egyptian army being flooded by the Red Sea and Israel triumphing because verse 1 sounds a whole lot like Exodus 5-6. But it has also been linked with similarity to a prophecy found in Isaiah 52-10 that talks about God's people being rescued out of Babylon. So people will often say, well, it happened because of Egypt or it happened because of Babylon. Without any specific hints, Marvin Tate has suggested that it has no specific historical reference and should not be forced into the mold of the exodus or the restoration from exile or from any other specific historical context. The song encompasses the whole range of Yahweh's victories. And it's focused on the idea of him being a divine warrior who battles for his people and rescues them. 
So all the way throughout Israel's history, we find saw God moving. In fact, long before there was an Israel in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, we find God reaching out, Adam, where are you? Not because Adam and Eve were great players of hide and seek. God wanted them to understand what was going on. And he came reaching out to them. And then all the way through Abraham's life, we looked at through Israel and its formation, on and on, God was moving. So the marvelous actions of the Lord that are here are include everything that God has ever done throughout history for those who have opened their hearts to him in faith. It is what God has done beyond human ability. That's the whole focus of that right hand and holy arm. I'm sorry, uh, I'm not intending to slide any of you left-handers out there, but generally speaking with Israel and much of the the world, the concept of the right arm was seen as a powerful arm. The focus is God does his work without any help. He doesn't need it from the world. He doesn't need it from Israel. The psalmist is trying to let his people see that this is God. He's not talking about Cyrus letting the people go from Babylon, Pharaoh letting the people go from Egypt and all that happened in between. He's saying God has done this. God did not need help. His own might is self-sufficient. He was able to deliver his people and he is still able to move today. The acts connect everything that God did and folks, everything that he's going to do for his people. This is This psalm is focused on past present and future, for all of these things, they are called to sing a new song. Now that doesn't necessarily mean a brand new song that's never been sung before. Warren Wiersbe has pointed out that the idea is a new song, a song that is sung with freshness. Now one of the problems with the songs that you sing a lot They get in your brain, don't they? And it's very easy to just sing them by rote. In fact, I can tell sometimes which version of the Baptist hymnal you grew up on by listening to your singing. Because if you sing uh, about that rapture instead of the ransom Christ is prayed, Paid, you sang either from the Broadman hymnal or the 1958 Baptist hymnal. Words get changed, and I do it. I sing the songs the way I learn them. But hopefully I sing them fresh. We sing them, we know them, we hear them, we can, we can, I was walking through a, a, a Dollar Tree once with my wife, and they were playing, happened to be playing 70s rock over the music system. My era. And I'm going to avoid, no, I'll say it, when music was good. And I'm walking through and we got to the the register and the girl behind the register says, you know every song on the radio. And I said, if it's the right era, probably, I didn't realize I'm singing through Dollar Tree. Thankfully, nobody threw anything. Nobody said, quit it. But we can do that with worship. This is supposed to be fresh. 
It's supposed to be new. As we grow in our knowledge of God, as we come to appreciate Him, the songs we sing become more real to us. They become more powerful to us. They become fresh all over again. And that's what He's singing. Sing a song with a fresh heart to God. But I want you to notice something. The universal praise that is found in this psalm hasn't happened yet, has it? All of the world has not burst forth in praise. While the scripture talks in imagery, that that idea of rivers clapping their hands, think about a a river washing the, the stones in it, and it just the sound that it makes. But this universal language of all peoples everywhere praising has not yet happened. But it will. The future out there is amazing for what's going to happen when every knee and every, shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the kingdom of God is brought into its completeness. Folks, when it comes to us, thinking about all God has done should and will prompt us to glorify Him free, freely. Remembering God's steadfast love is cause enough to glorify Him. To know that God loves me and will always love me and there's nothing that I could ever do that would cause him to quit loving me if I had nothing, no other reason to say thank you God. That's enough. But knowing that that his love was the focus of why the Messiah came. Not to give us a great holiday in December. Not to give us a, a time to... to to just sing songs. But he came, as Natalie pointed out, to grow up living the perfect life, to die for us, that the human heart could come to know God's love. So today I challenge you. As you go out into this crazy world of Christmas season when people are just acting so insane at times, Let our hearts joyfully sing out thanksgiving for his work in the world. A work prompted by God's steadfast love. A love that will never die. That's what this love is about. And that's why God has moved throughout history drawing people into his family. And then... And this is how he does it. God's love has made salvation possible. God's love has made salvation possible. When we walked away, when we turned, and every one of us has been our own Adam, we've been our own Eve, we made a choice to sin. I can't blame Adam the way he blamed Eve. I willingly entered into sin. And God said, I'm going to do something. And I'm going to bring hope to those who have no hope. The psalmist declared God's ultimate loving act of salvation. Now it's interesting, the word salvation in the Old Testament, the word translated here is salvation, most commonly refers to God's deliverance of his people, his salvation from their present world enemies. That he defeated the enemies against them. He defeated the armies and made sure they stood strong. 
But their time within the Word of God, the idea of salvation, is clearly about more. It's about forgiveness. It is about cleansing. It is about becoming what you can be. In Psalm 51, David cries out, Lord, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Later he says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Let me know that I'm forgiven. It's salvation from guilt, sin, and punishment. And Daniel Estes is that God doesn't just bring salvation in the abstract. This is not a philosophical discussion. He does it in the real life world in which we live. He saves real human beings, bringing them out of darkness into light. What the Lord did in delivering Israel, we hear in this psalm, had implications for the rest of the world. If you were with us when we looked at the life of Abraham, we found out God promised Abraham, follow me, leave your father's household, leave the land, go where I show you, and I'm going to bless you. And he said, and I'm going to make you a blessing. And your seed is going to bless all of the world. It's hinted here. This is what's happening. The people who at one point chided Israel, where's your God? Are now having to recognize God is with them. He is the God who saves his people. And it is an image of a divine warrior. The God who comes and rescues. When the enemy is going to run roughshod, when there is absolutely no hope, when Israel's army is not strong enough, God says, I'm going to fight. And I will bring you deliverance. He is a God of rescue who brought his people out of the land of Egypt. He is the God of forgiveness who reached into David's heart. And after David wrote Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of salvation, he writes Psalm 32. How blessed is the man who has been forgiven. And I believe the promised Messiah, the one we've been looking for all throughout Advent, the one whose birth we anticipate tomorrow as we celebrate the day, the promised Messiah fulfills God's plan of redemption through His atoning act. You see, the promised one of Advent, whose birth we celebrate tomorrow, is our divine warrior. But it's a little bit different emphasis. It's been pointed out. It's not about God protecting us from any bad thing that can happen. It's not about God bless America and just hate the rest of the world. This isn't the the warrior Christ has come. He is the one who has defeated the enemies of flesh and blood. No. He is one who has brought spiritual salvation. Who has defeated the issue of sin and death. Who gives us life and hope. That no matter what happens here on earth, there is a better world waiting. Whatever happens here on earth, I can know joy here right now. And I can know peace. And I have hope. And I experience the love of God right now in this world because the divine warrior came and broke the power of sin. Will one day deliver us from the very presence of sin who will bring salvation and life. He is our victor, our king. And he is the one who's going to bring everything 
to its conclusion. In Romans 8, 18 through 25, I encourage you to read it. You'll hear Paul saying, all of creation is groaning, waiting for the day when the kingdom will be fulfilled, when the love of God will be seen by all. This is the heart. He is not, he, folks, it's not about us. God be with our side and not their side. He defeated an enemy we could not. I can't save myself. Doesn't matter how good I think I am. It doesn't matter who I compare myself to. Because I can always find somebody who's worse off than me, right? We can do that. In fact, we do. Human heart is is not unlike that of the Pharisee who stands before the temple in Jesus in the temple in Jesus parable and says, I thank you, God, I'm not like other men. I'm not like that tax collector. I am like the tax collector. The only thing I can do is cry to God, forgive me, a sinner. And that's what Christ has done. He has brought the possibility of a full and free salvation into our lives where we can know we're children of God. We are His as we have trusted in the One who gave His life All of the works of God were pointed to this moment in time when Messiah would come and sin would be dealt its death blow. So let us rejoice in song knowing God's love prompted His sending the Son for our salvation. I love the Christmas story. And I love at the right time of year singing Christmas songs and and the the carols that we hear all of them all starting in September now. I love Christmas music, movies. Uh, My daughter tried to introduce my son-in-law to It's a Wonderful Life and he got halfway through and said, I can't watch this, this is depressing. She finally got him to watch the whole thing. And so he understood, no, it's great, it turns out all right. But folks... That's not what this day really is about. Yes, I'll celebrate. And I'll sing songs. And we'll open presents and it'll be great. But Jesus Christ is the greatest Christmas present ever given. And He made it possible for us to call God Father. And so we sing. We sing about the love of God. And then... God's love is never ending for His people. Folks, this song is amazing. I wish we used poetry like this in the way we talk more often. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Because the psalmist was was recognizing that God's covenant love, it moved the psalmist to a glorious crescendo of praise. He's not singing, praise the Lord. He's saying, praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. This is wonderful. Everybody come in. Everybody join. You see, it's not enough for him that Israel sings about God and His love. 
He wants all of nature to join in. And so he starts talking about the seas and all this, all these images of power and beauty. God saved the people of Israel so the nations could know that God was a God of compassion and love and faithfulness. So he calls all of creation, the whole world, which is just people, not just oceans and stars and all that. People coming to understand, paying homage to God. And what a praise it's going to be. David Bland writes, as the psalm concludes, all of creation, animate and inanimate, enters into the chorus to sing the new song. The rivers and oceans and mountains and valleys come alive with the sound of music. This is not like a scene from a Disney movie where all of nature becomes animated out of its own willpower and sings just for the joy of singing. In this psalm, creation responds out of awe and the work and power of the Creator. As Paul says, both humans and nature groan in anticipating the coming of the new creation. Sing out and let it be loud. Sing out and let it burst from within us. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. I, I picture Ezra and that moment of worship and I'm pretty sure nobody was paying attention to whoever was singing around. They were all just singing glory to God together. And it was amazing and it was wonderful and it was real. I want you to understand something. Because this is at the heart of the, the phrase Steadfast love. There will never come a day when God's love for us will cease. It will never stop. And we're not used to that kind of love in this world. I remember, I think it was in the 1990s, the first time I heard of a wedding ceremony, the vows being changed to where the couple would say that they pledged to be together as long as we both shall love. Folks, love in this world is more about emotion and tingliness than anything. And there comes a point in time, and this isn't comfortable, but there comes a time we grow old. We don't look like we used to. But love can be as real and powerful and true as it ever was. We're used to people turning away from us when they think we have slighted them. We're used to people turning away from us when we haven't given them what they want. But God's love is steadfast. And even when Israel sinned and God brought judgment upon them, it was to bring them back to His love. It will be with us forever while we're here on earth. And there's coming a day when we enter into the kingdom of God in all of its completeness and glory. There will be no more questions about the love of God. We will be in the presence of love itself. In exalting Jesus in Psalm 51 through 100, 
Jim Shaddix pointed out the last part of this psalm is a call for all creation to celebrate the coming of the Lord. The righteousness of God will reign over the world and everything in the world will be made right. The psalm is about something much bigger than deliverance from slavery in Egypt or from exile. It is about something much bigger than even the initial coming of Christ. And then he brings up Isaac Watts' song that we sing so boisterously this time of year. Joy to the world! But we miss something about Isaac Watts' joy to the world because we don't always pay attention to words. We just like to sing it because it's a joyful song. But I want you to listen. Watts is not ultimately painting a picture of the day Jesus was born. He is ultimately painting a picture On the day the exalted Christ returns. Listen to what he described. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. There's coming a day when Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords will establish his king forever. And folks, right now, we're still waiting for the day when sin and sorrow is no more. Because even as a child of God, knowing the love of God, knowing the hope He brings, knowing the peace that can be mine, this is still a world marked by sin and suffering. And so the birth of Christ that that sets everything in motion for the culmination when Christ returns, one day this song will be fulfilled completely. One day this psalm will be fulfilled So let our hearts erupt in a hallelujah chorus over the steadfast love of God. Folks, this love encompasses every other thing, every other theme of Advent is found in this love. The fourth Sunday of love is the reason we have hope. Hope that there is more to life than this world with its suffering. Hope that there can be a home with God. It is the reason behind peace. I could never have had the peace with God or peace from God if God didn't love me enough to say, I want you in my family. And folks, it's the reason for joy. It's the reason for joy. When I met Rachel, first time I ever saw her, I was 14 years old. First time I ever saw her, and I thought, she's pretty. But she had a boyfriend. So, when I was 15, she didn't have a boyfriend anymore. And all of a sudden, folks, I knew this was the woman I was going to marry. Unfortunately, on our second time out, 
I asked her how many children she wanted. And apparently God had not told her that she was who I was going to marry. So she said those awful words, let's just be friends. Six months later, she came to her senses. She realized what she was about to let skip by and in a prayer time of a bunch of young people while we were praying and this is how pathetic I was. I sat next to her so at prayer time I could hold her hand. And when we said amen, she didn't let go of my hand. My 15-year-old heart, you would have thought I'd run a four-minute mile and I was wanting everybody to go away. We dated three years, two years in high school. After my first year of college, we got married. And it was one of the most wonderful, glorious days of my life. And the love that we shared brought us joy. And it's a, uh, that love continues to give me peace and joy, even though she is now with my father in heaven. Folks, I loved being around Rachel. But as much as I loved being around Rachel, the Messiah gave his life for me. Paul said, while I was still a sinner, and the joy that I have in my life is first and foremost because the love of God opened that door. So we should be singing Not quietly, not afraid, but singing from deep within and shouting out the words. I mentioned the Hallelujah Chorus. I love the Hallelujah Chorus. I want to read for you the ending words. As Handel has painted this beautiful, the Messiah, an amazing work, is drawing everything to a close. And he's quoting from Scripture, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And He shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. And He shall reign forever and ever. Forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. Folks, we have a glorious song to sing. We have a reason for joy. We have a reason for peace. We have a reason for hope. We have the love of God who has entered into this world through Jesus Christ. The love that comes from the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. He is our Savior. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have life everlasting. Today, I hope you know that, Lord. You may not. 
I can't think of the greatest, a greater Christmas gift than ever receiving the salvation of Christ. And I'm going to ask heads to be bowed and eyes closed right now. If you don't know the Lord, I would love to tell you about Him. And you can come here and let me share with you from the Word of God. But this day, will you listen to the Spirit of God as He speaks to your heart? Whether it's talking to me or talking to someone else you know that knows Christ. Today, understand that the love of God, God has been working throughout history to bring you to a point where the salvation He has made possible could become real. And He has loved you with a love that will not die. And this could be your day. This could be your day.